Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in an earlier Thursday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, JJ John Jastrzemski. Rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that riveting display of baseball that we had for two days with the Yankees and the Mets. Apropos fitting that both teams go and split the two games. Uninspiring to say the least. I don't even want to start with the Subway Series because Steph and I were there on Wednesday night. We talked about this on our Twitter spaces on Tuesday. But both of those games basically put you to sleep. I mean, and I had met fans in my life saying, oh, Tuesday was exciting because of Alonzo. The game stunk. The game was a total snooze. And I'll be transparent and I'll be totally fair on this. We were there on Wednesday. We had a great time. You know, we had great conversation. We had great seats. The, ran into a bunch of you guys, which was terrific. But like what we saw on the field, it was the most boring and blase two-hour and 40-minute baseball game that you're going to get. I don't even want to start with the baseball today. I want to start with the football because I have a couple of things here right out of the gate from a Jet perspective. Number one, the Jet Bronco game that would have been in many ways an afterthought when you're going through the schedule and you're thinking about, all right, what's what? Obviously, Jets, Bills, week one, Aaron Rodgers' debut, playing the Buffalo Bills. Juicy. A lot of eyeball appeal. I was going to say a lot of sex appeal, but doesn't exactly apply. But you get my drift. The Bills and the Jets is going to be a marquee game. Dallas in week two is a marquee game. The Patriots, because of what the Belichick-Jet dynamic has always been and the dominance the Patriots have had over the Jets, like, these are all games, all right, sexy. Then you get to that Bronco game, you're like, yeah, that's kind of one of your nondescript games. So that changed. That changed on Thursday after the comments Sean Payton made uh, regarding the state of the 2022 Denver Broncos. I mean, holy smokes, Sean Payton went scorched earth. And he went scorched earth 
a couple of different ways. I mean, he roasted Nathaniel Hackett to the high heavens. And Nathaniel Hackett did a horrendous job coaching the Broncos. We all know that. That's obvious. When you get fired after one year at a job, like, you stunk. You don't see the coach who comes in the following year usually be as honest and as open as Sean Payton was. So that opened my eyes a little bit. He also found a way to get a couple of hot shots in regarding the dream team. And it's not exactly like the Jets have gone the route of the Philadelphia Eagles or some of these other teams of the past. And they've gotten megastar after megastar after megastar. The Jets got one megastar. They got Aaron Rodgers. That's it. Now, that may change in a few days, and we'll get to Dalvin Cook momentarily, but, like, they didn't necessarily go and, like, pluck and cherry pick every big star known to men. And we'll see how Aaron Rodgers performs. We'll see how he plays. But, like, the idea of looking at the Jets as this quote-unquote super team, I didn't necessarily agree with Sean Payton's assessment. But I know this. Robert Sal was pissed off at and I think he's pissed off because his offense coordinator was thrown under the bus. He felt like he needed to back him publicly. And he couldn't even get the week right for when the Jets are going to be playing the Denver Broncos. But here's what I do know. That game now, circle it on your calendar. A lot more entertaining and a lot more juicy than I thought it was going to be 24 hours ago. So for somebody that's in the content business, I love that. I hope that when we watch Hard Knocks, in a couple of days, maybe we will get some insight and some information on how Robert Sal was feeling when these comments came out. Like, I, I would like that. Folks at HBO, get on that. Give me that sort of information. Give me that sort of juice, that dirt. I want it. I want it. Now, you know what's another thing you should want if you're a Jeff fan? Dalvin Cook. And I know some people watching are going to be like, hold on, JJ. You have been so dismissive of the idea of Dalvin Cook coming to the New York Jets. How dare you come on the air and start your podcast saying that you think the needle is kind of moving in that direction. Well, I know those state taxes in Florida are great. I know Dalvin Cook, Miami boys, buddy Jalen Ramsey, by the way, I'm like candles for him. Hope he's okay. After getting caught off the field at Dolphin practice today. But like, all of the Chiefs pointed to Dalvin Cook going to the Dolphins, except here we are. It's late July, and he's not a Miami Dolphin. So as he gets set to make this trip to Farm Park and to visit with the New York Jets, here's my message for Joe Douglas and for Robert Sala. Don't let him leave. Don't let him leave. Make sure that he is going to be a part of your fabric. They restructured Aaron Rodgers' contract. They have a little extra money to play with. And the reason Dalvin Cook for one year makes so much sense for the Jets, Brees Hall is coming back off the ACL. We love Brees Hall. Brees Lightning, speedy, versatile, very talented. ACLs are tricky. I don't know how Brees Hall is going to look immediately right out of the gate getting 20, 25 touches. I don't think it's feasible. In fact, I don't think that's how it'll be utilized the first couple weeks of the year. They're going to ease him back. Perfect way to ease him back is to have Dalvin Cook basically getting 10 to 15 touches as well. 
And if he gets hurt and it happens in the second half of the year, that's when Brees Hall maybe is ramping it up to where it needs to be. But if you're the Jets, all in on this year, all in on Aaron Rodgers, it makes perfect sense to go and get Dalvin Cook and bring him in on a one-year commitment. Don't let him leave the facility without getting a contract. That's got to be the MO. That's got to be the message for Douglas and Salah, making sure that Dalvin Cook is going to be in the fold and not with my team, the Miami Dolphins. So Jets got some interesting subplots going on. You got the bickering between coaching staffs. You got the hard knock cameras there. You got the Dalvin Cook pursuit. And the storylines around the Jets are going to be rather juicy and are going to be rather appealing leading in to week one. And then those first couple weeks with that schedule and those set of marquee games that are right in front of you, the most highly anticipated Jets season we have had since the last time they were on Hard Knocks, which was in 2010. You want to tell me 2011 was highly anticipated? Yeah, you could probably sell me on that. Back-to-back trips to the AFC title game, you could. But it was a weird year that season with the lockout. You didn't have your, your normal training camp. Different, different sort of vibe. But long story short, this Jets season is going to be juicy. And like the idea of being able to do these type of shows after we have the Jets and the Giants doing their thing in games that matter helps me eradicate the stench of the baseball season that we've had to sit there and watch now over these last couple of months. So it's a nice little transition. Look, I got to give credit where credit is due. I roasted Rodon the other day, acting like a total clown, blowing the kiss, acting like a punk. That was a big start for him. He couldn't have a start where he gave up six runs and he's getting booed off the Yankee Stadium mound. He pitches into the sixth inning. He pitched out of some trouble. He made big pitches when he needed to make big pitches. It was shades of David Wells with the open shirt and whatnot. And if you're the Yankees, you hope that we look at this Mets start as the period in time in which Carlos Rodon jump-started and launched his Yankee career. Hopefully, this is the sort of turning point we look at where we say, all right, he got over the kiss. He came back home. Pressurized situation. Game the Yankees had to have. I mean, let's call it like it is. The Yankees, what's coming up this weekend against the Orioles, could not go and get swept by the New York Mets, who's two out of three to the Boston Red Sox just a couple of days ago. You could not get swept in this series. So the Yankee offense did just enough. They should have scored seven or eight runs against Quintana, but they are inept offensively, so they're unable to capitalize on such scoring chances. And Rodon ends up being the hero of Game 2 of the Subway Series. Now, the Yankees get ready for the Orioles, then the Rays, then the Astros. I think it's fair to say it is make or break time for the 2023 New York Yankees. I think you all know I'm not a believer. I think you all know that I'm in a position where I just don't see where they are going to be able to go and sustain high quality and high caliber offense, even with the return of number 99. Thank God. It's very rare that baseball players have the impact of one individual the way Judge, Judge has basically been like losing Jokic or Curry or Giannis. Take your pick. 
when a team just looks beyond different without him. Do I think that his return here feels a little bit rushed? I do. All of a sudden, he's going on minor league rehab. All of a sudden, he's going to play a couple of games. Then he's not playing a couple of games. So you can tell and you can sense the Yankees are acknowledging the urgency of the moment. We can't mess around. We need Aaron Judge now. What kind of factor is he going to be? That's the million-dollar question. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how his timing is going to look. Nobody knows how he's going to handle being able to play the outfield. Can he play the outfield on three and four and five consecutive days? This is the storyline in front of the Yankees over the next two months. And I do think they will add. I do not think they will go nuts at the trade deadline. Think outfielder along the lines maybe of Randall Gritchick. I do not think they end up with Bellinger, even though he's a perfect fit. I'd like to see them go and get a catcher. But I also want to see the Yankees make moves that not just help this team this year, where I'm not necessarily all in, but to help next year's team, where you make a move and it's like, okay, it can help you this year and next year. That's where the Mets should be as well. Listen, the Mets, you want to tell me the National League wildcard race stinks and is an avenue and opportunity with the Nationals and with the Royals for them to go and put together a 5 and one stretch and get back in this thing a little bit? Maybe. Get to 500. And then maybe I could start fantasizing about that. But when it comes to the deadline for both of these teams, I can't stress this enough. Do not be short-sighted. Do not think that 2023 is a year you should push all your chips into the middle of the table. And who is the only guy that was going to do that? Somebody's not getting traded now in Otani. That's why I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, there was no way the Angels are going to trade him. Now the Angels go and get Lucas Giolito. They're in it. They feel like they're just as in it as the Yankees. And they should. They just swept the Yankees last week. So since Otani is not on the board for the Yankees, the Mets, or any of these teams, who is that guy? Like, I think the Mets, marginal seller at best. Think the Yankees, marginal buyer at best. And this weekend could be quite the litmus test in how the Yankee front office views this team. I'm not saying that would change my perception in any way, but they might look at it. Orioles, first place team, a lot of highly anticipated games in prime time. Saturday night's prime time game. Sunday night is now an ESPN game. Does their deadline plan get changed potentially based upon what you see this weekend? Well, Jimmy Duquette, the former GM of the Mets, does a great job with me over at SNY and SiriusXM a little bit later on in the show. We're going to go through a bunch of the deadline stuff. What it means for Yankees, Mets, could Soto be moved? Otani's future. I have a lot of questions for Jimmy D on that. We'll get to that, but when we come back, Connor Rogers is ready to go. He's going to have fired up Jet post games. The Jets could be in on Dalvin Cook. Sean Payton and Hackett. Sean Payton and Sal, a little brouhaha. So Connor Rogers over at NBC and SNY. He's going to start off New York, New York in a matter of moments. Let's take one call. Got time for one call really quick. Let's go, Stefan. Let's take one before I forget. Hey, JJ, this is Mike from Palm Coast, Florida. Don't be fooled, obviously, from my voice. You could tell I'm a New Yorker. I'm 57. I'm here seven years. So I'm a Yankee fan since, uh, I guess, 73. I was born in 66. You know, I heard you say you're a Yankee fan since 93. I got 20 years on you. and this is 
the worst team ever that I've ever been able to watch. I've seen teams that had no talent and were just garbage, but in the 80s, 70s, but this team is the worst. Um, a little bone to pick with you. Don't jump on the Rodon kiss thing. That's ridiculous stuff. That's the old days Yankees with the class and this and worrying about little antics like that, the flipping of the finger from Jack McDowell. I mean, look what these guys do today. All the antics, the rock in the cradle, this, the, even uh, Judge, our wonderful Judge last year. Don't you forget he was, that was the year of the giddy, you know, every home run, 62 of them doing the giddy. You know, I mean, come on. The kiss was nothing. The guy was probably cursing the hell out of him the whole game and he deserved it and that was like he said he owned up to it right after the game and he also said ah, I guess I shouldn't have done nothing but you know and Boone who I hate at least had one decent comment to say look you're in the arena and this happens whatever I prefer you don't do it so but don't jump all over the guy we got this guy for six years and you know then we can't jump on something and hold that against them um, lastly the Yankees they must sell. I don't know why people are saying they shouldn't sell, they should buy, or people, like I heard you say, you, you can't sell. Uh, you can sell. The Yankees have two cancers on the team that are going to kill them for the next four years. LeMahieu and Stanton signed through the 27th season. Four more years. They've both shown you they're broken down, old, getting older, getting worse. So what you do is you offer them up, pay 50 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar, throw in whatever you need to do to get rid of these guys. Now, because they still have a little value, Stanton with his playoff reputation, although that's overrated, he power. Someone needs a power hitter for the, the last two months and maybe can take a chance with the the low ball price. And LeMahieu, <laughs> he's, maybe he can recapture his hitting uh, you know, uh, abilities, but he's still a gold glove, you know, third baseman. He could play and second baseman. He could play first base. He's versatile. You could get rid of them. You must get rid of them and then start anew in the offseason. All right, Mike. Mouthful there. It just goes to show you New York, New York appeals to all ages. I appreciate your passion on the Yankees. Couple of thoughts. Um, I don't regret what I said about Carlos Rodon. I thought he acted like a total clown the other day. And that is embarrassing behavior for somebody wearing a Yankee uniform. But I did mention this after his start. You want to win a Yankee fan over, go and pitch well. And that's how he leaves to an isolation. He pitched well against the New York Mets. So if Rodon's on the mound, I think he's going to be all right. I do. And I do think after the game, he kind of like acknowledged, yeah, I was in the wrong there. I probably shouldn't have done that. So listen. Go and pitch well, and nobody is going to care. And people will learn to forgive and move past it very, very quickly. This might be the most underachieving Yankee team in my lifetime. Because 2013 and 14, I didn't think the teams were any good. This team, we actually had some sense of expectation going into the year. Here's your problem, though, about getting rid of guys like Stan and LeMayu. Who's taking them? Stan's got a full no trade. He has to tell the Yankees, I want to be traded. That's it. So any any place that try to trade him with that ginormous contract, he's going to be like, no, I'm not going. So you're stuck with John Carlos then. And with the way DJ LeMayu is played, you're stuck with him too. You're stuck with those guys. That is why you're not going to see the Yankees. People are like, oh, the Yankees got to sell. What are they selling exactly? A couple arms in a bullpen? 
What, what are they selling? I heard this early in the week. A couple of baseball insiders have kind of pointed at this. I think you're going to have a deadline, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, where teams are adding and subtracting kind of at the same time. And I know people are going to be like, JJ, what the hell are you talking about? You might see a team like the Cubs go and add players that are going to help them beyond this season. You may also see a team like the Cubs say, Marcus Stroman, we're going to trade him. Cody Ballinger, we're going to trade him. Would I be shocked if you see that from like a Yankee and a Met perspective? Would the Yankees maybe trade some guys on a major league roster and go and make moves to add other places on a major league roster? Yeah. And I think you can make the same argument with the Mets. One note on the Mets, by the way, from yesterday, I didn't bring this up. I've taken a lot of calls, and I've heard from a lot of Mets fans. Got to play Vientos. Got to play Vientos. Got to play Vientos. They put Vientos in the game yesterday. He had no idea what he was doing at third base. And I texted Zeal about this because sometimes maybe I don't know everything. I like to think that I do. But in this case, I was like, I'm, I'm curious. How does a guy who wasn't on the team a week ago, who the manager and the GM clearly doesn't like that much, because if they did, he would have been here a lot sooner. How does he go from not playing to hitting second in a Subway Series game when Tommy Pham is in the lineup? I know he's coming back off the injury, but like, you got Vientos in the two spot? That was weird. That was weird. But Vientos looked like a total butcher at third base and cost Quintana a couple outs and a couple runs. Make that argument. So just had to get that in there. All right, Connor Rogers. Into Jimmy Duquette, loaded show from a guest standpoint. We got you covered on the trade deadline, and there's a lot happening in the Jetlands. So we got a little update from our guy, CR, coming up next. The U.S. team is taking on the world, and you can take home bonus bets every time they win with FanDuel. Because right now, new customers get $100 in bonus bets guaranteed, plus another $10 in bonus bets for every USA win. Just download the FanDuel top rated sportsbook app and sign up between now and August the 3rd. Then, place your first $5 bet to unlock your bonus bets. That way, you'll be all set to bet on everything from total goals to player props all tournament long. However you want to play, don't miss your chance to get $10 in bonus bets for every USA win, plus $100 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Must be 21 plus in present select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com/slash RG. First online real money wager only. Ten dollar deposit required. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com/sportsbook. Let's welcome in a guy who's all over the place. You see him on NBC Sports. You see him on SNY. He's gearing up for what should be a highly anticipated New York Jets season, uh, a far cry from watching Zach Wilson and Josh McCown and some of the dreadful offenses we've seen over the last decade. So, Connor Rogers, you got to be, like, raring to go, man. This is your time to shine. Football season, you got the fantasy stuff you got cooking on NBC Sports, and then you got Jets post game in, like, a month. Let's go, dude. I'm fired up, man. It's funny you bring up McCown. Somehow he was one of the better options when you look at the last, what, 12 quarterbacks they've had, and it wasn't pretty. So, uh, listen, JJ, I it, when you just see all the storylines from training camp, obviously the pay cut is the news of the week, the talent they've been able to put around him, the fact that this team felt ready to take a step last year and they couldn't because of the quarterback situation, even though they took steps everywhere else. 
there's so much excitement in Jetland. I get there's a lot of haters right now that, you know, why are they being shoved down our throat? The Jets didn't want to be on Hard Knocks, okay? That's not the Jets' fault that they're going to be on TV uh, on the HBO series. But listen, you, you got to be excited. The AFC East might be the most competitive division in all of football. Well, you mentioned haters. There was one earlier this afternoon. Cool. I mean, I wake up, have the morning coffee, and, and Sean Payton is talking all sorts of smack about the Jets' offensive coordinator. And I, I don't know if you felt this way, Connor. Like, we get it. Daniel Hackett was a total disaster as a head coach. There's probably a good chance that he'll never be a head coach in the league again. Yep. It is rare, though, to see a coach basically say everything that went on within the Denver organization, I'll say it bluntly, was a total shit show. I mean, that's basically what Sean Payton detailed in the one-on-one -on -one interview that he gave. So you're around the league. You kind of know how these relationships work. Were you surprised to see, number one, Sean Payton as open as he was? And I don't know if you feel this way for part two here. I think it has no bearing and no issue whatsoever on what's going on with the Jets and their offense because I'm not asking Nathaniel Hackett to be the head coach. I'm asking him to work with a guy that he's worked really well with in Aaron Rodgers. Exactly, right? Quickly on part two, I mean, this is Aaron Rodgers' offense, and him and Hackett have worked closely together for a long time in previous stops, of course, in Green Bay. And Salah has a relationship with Hackett that he trusts him to build a running game that'll support an older quarterback and a team that hopes that they can close out leads. So it's much different from being a head coach, which there's no denying Hackett. It was a miserable experience for him, the Broncos organization. Now, when you look at Sean Payton, this feels overboard for a lot of different reasons. One, getting away from Hackett. There, I'll actually start there. Going to the combine every year, understanding the coaching fraternity that exists. This is very uncommon, right? Now, Hackett is in a, a group of guys that I'm not going to say he's best friends with, you know, Shanahan, McVeigh, and that group, but there's a large group of a coaching fraternity that exists. That's why Robert Sala had the relationship with him because these guys come up as assistants together and a handful of them get head coaching jobs and they bring their guys with them and then they get elevated roles for to eventually maybe become a head coach themselves. So, there's a lot of respect league-wide for the grind that is coaching. I don't know if it's Sean Payton being out of the league for a year. I don't know if he's just a lone wolf, a uh, very angry person at this point, and a bit of a jerk, honestly, in my opinion, of how he came off there. But when you look at it, it just felt like also underlying all of this is that he kind of said, I'm the, the new guy in town. I have all the power. The GM did a horrible job last year, who's still there, and George Payton, by the way. Russell Wilson didn't look very good. It wasn't all of Russ, Russ's fault, but listen, it's just showing the short leash that everybody is on in Denver except for Sean Payton, and the Jets got dragged into it because that was Hackett's mess last year. I didn't even think Payton did a good job of putting it all on Hackett and trying to elevate the guys in the Denver organization like Payton and Russell Wilson, maybe to boost some confidence and inspire from them. It feels like it just pissed everybody off. It was a big-time... Uh, ego play by Peyton, which he's notorious for doing, and how he has all the power in the Denver organization. That's how uh, they were able to lure him there. So we'll see if it works out for him. Uh, a betting man in the division with the Kansas City Chiefs, a rising Chargers team with Justin Herbert. We'll see what the Raiders can do. I don't love Denver's chances in that division under Sean Payton, especially what we saw from Russell Wilson last year. I didn't think these were very smart comments, and it'll be very fun to watch the Jets play the Denver Broncos in Week 5, because Robert Sala publicly responding is something he never does. He was clearly pissed off and felt like he had to support his team and, most importantly, his offensive coordinator. You mentioned week five. 
And Coach Sala thought it was week four. I listened. I yeah. get it. I scrub the schedule all the time. That's how little he gave a shit about the Broncos. <laughs> hey, listen, I love it. Um, in all seriousness, though, Connor, this was one of the games on the schedule where, like, you're going through and you're like, wow, Buffalo week one, marquee game. Dallas, late afternoon, week two, like, marquee game. This Denver game was kind of like, eh, Jets, Broncos. Now, all of a no sudden, juice. it's like, hey, marquee game. Let's go. Right. No juice at all. It felt like even the game they played last year, besides some big time Sauce Gardner battles and, you know, the Jets, that's kind of where their season started to spiral because they lost Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker in the same game. But the Jets won that game. And when you look at it, right, you just didn't have a lot of juice in that game. You're right, JJ. You look at all the primetime matchups, the really tough opponents they see in the beginning of the season. No matter what New England's roster looks like, the Jets have not been able to beat New England consistently in forever. They haven't been able to beat them at all. So that's a huge game as well in the first part, first quarter of the season. So now the Denver game has all of the life it needed. And when you look at the Jets' first five weeks of the season, there is absolutely no rest when you look at the hype, the expectations, and the build around those matchups. There are a lot of expectations. There are a lot of big names already here. It's possible we might be looking at another one. And I've been having a little fun, Connor, not going to lie, at the Jet fans' expense about no state tax and Dalvin Cook being a Florida boy. And that, listen, at the end of the day, I thought he was going to end up in Miami, not the Jets. But here we are. He's not a Miami Dolphin. I feel like if he was going to be a Dolphin, it would have happened already. And the Jets are bringing him in. They're ready to wind him and dine him a little bit. Uh, gut feel. Are we looking at Dalvin Cook wearing a New York Jet uniform? You know, for the longest time, I was a bit skeptical. Like you said, him being from Florida, it felt like his desires might be to go to Miami. But I think the reality hit a couple of different ways. Mike McDaniel, justifiably so, loves his running back room, right? There's a lot of talent there. Mostert's a really, really good player. You got Jeff Wilson back. You drafted Devon A. Chain, who's a massive big play threat. We've heard that in the Miami offense before. Well, they got another one. So I don't think they were willing to move the needle financially that far for Dalvin Cook. And the Jets might have felt the same way. But why I was hesitant was until that Aaron Rodgers pay cut came along. And now you look at it, and if you're talking about squeezing an extra mil or two here or there, or even if that has to be incentives uh, boosted in the deal, it's all there. I mean, the Jets have opened up a ton of cap space. Even if they signed Alvin Cook, they have a significant amount of money to work with after that. And I think they're also in training camp right now, JJ, where they're getting a feel for their running back room. They want to ramp up Brees Hall slowly. I think Brees Hall wants to be full go, but when it comes to ACLs, it would be wise to take your time. He's hitting really good top speeds on their GPS systems, but they don't want to turn around and hand him the ball 22 times a game in September. And I think that'd be foolish anyway, because you're playing for what matters in December, January, and beyond that. You need the best Brees Hall then. So then when you look at the other options, Michael Carter not coming off a great year. Bam Knight, the former UDFA, flashes, but there's a reason he was a UDFA and maybe more of a kick returner for this team. And then Izzy Abanacanda, a fifth rounder that I love out of pit, but He's a 20-year-old rookie. He needs some seasoning. I don't think you throw him into the fire right away, although he's had some moments in camp as well, it sounds like. So you bring in Cook, and now you have a pro that's already handled the rock of plenty of early situations throughout the season. He's gotten banged up throughout the season, and you feel like if that time comes with him, you hand the ball to Brees Hall and get him going as well. So listen, the Jets are in a unique position. I can't rem- I think the last time they were like this was before 2010, the last time they were on Hard Knocks, where some veterans are interested in playing there for maybe not the max dollar, definitely the right price, but not every last dollar because they feel like the Jets have at least a chance in the AFC. I remember Jason Taylor jumped on, Ladanian Tomlinson. It was a weird time in Jets football, and then they've had a miserable decade now, and it feels like that resurgence because of Aaron Rodgers being here 
uh, is kind of coming to light once again. So we'll see if they get this done. There's always things you have to do through visits, notably medical things. That's very, very important, especially for a running back that's been banked up. But in theory, what Dalvin Cook brings to the field makes sense for what the Jets need in their backfield right now. Makes perfect sense. And what you hit on with Brees Hall is so key. Look at Saquon. Now, every every guy coming off an ACL is totally different, Connor. Like, it's it, it really is a case-by-case basis. But we lived Saquon Barkley's 2021 season where it was obvious. And maybe it's because the Giants weren't particularly good. And maybe it's just a set of circumstances, but he didn't look like the same dude. And it almost took him a full calendar year to get back to being the Saquon we expect to see. So you can go and kind of take some of that burden off of Brees Hall. It's only going to make him, I think, a better player in the second half of the year. Like, I don't love the idea of giving him 15, 20, 25 carries a game in September games. Like, that's that's asking a lot. Yeah, it is. I don't think it's good for anybody. And I think when you look at, what they want to be schematically offensively, if they want to remain an outside zone team, well, that Dalvin Cook has had a ton of success in outside zone his entire life. When you look at Brees Hall, that's how he was ripping off big plays by getting to the corner, putting his foot in the ground and getting upfield last year. So now you have guys that can not just complement each other because of the health status, right? Cook getting banged up throughout the year, Brees maybe not 100% out of the gate, but also they fit what you want to do offensively They want to throw to their running backs in the past game. They love that aspect of Brees' game. They feel like they could do that if they were able to bring in a Dalvin Cook as well. So there's a lot there from a health standpoint, from a usage standpoint, and from a productivity standpoint, why they think this is a good fit, barring the the medical situation checking out, the money situation checking out. And I think maybe Brees Hall doesn't have that patience as a young player, and you see what he did last year and Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, all these guys having success. It's best for him, too, right? Where you're giving him more time. You got to put get comfortable with that surgically repaired knee once again. That takes time in game reps, not just running on an open field with the GPS. You really need it's a mentality thing in a game where you're going to be planting, cutting full speed and getting hit. So the more time for Brees Hall, the better for the Jets longevity this season. Biggest X factor for this team. We know Rodgers comes in. Listen. Is he going to be MVP Rodgers? We'll see. Do I think he's going to be better than what he was last year? Yes, I do. I think he's got a little extra pep in his step. I, I think he's got an axe to grind. I think he has that dangling carrot of motivation. I think that's all a good thing, Connor. But we're talking about a quarterback who's still getting up there in age. So when I think about this year, that offensive line for the Jets, is that, in your opinion, the biggest key to what kind of success they can have as a team, whether or not that unit kind of gels and and meshes and plays towards the top of the league? Absolutely. There's no denying it, right? They they have Mekhi Becton on a pitch count in camp right now. I don't know what your expectations can really be for Mekhi Becton at this point. It almost feels like anything you get out of him that's even close to his rookie season is gravy. And I don't think the Jets have those internal expectations with the way they're kind of slow playing this with him in camp right now. Dwayne Brown's coming off shoulder surgery from the offseason. He played with a hurt shoulder all of last year. So He's their left tackle, but you got to get him back up. And he's a guy that can ramp up because he's a veteran. He'll be good to go from a mental standpoint. But will he stay healthy? He's another guy like Rodgers. When you get closer to 40, things are a little different on the body. Right tackle seems to be a little bit wide open. They love Max Mitchell, their fourth rounder from two years ago. And they'll kind of lean on him. They have a veteran that Rodgers is familiar with and Billy Turner. But these aren't household names, right? Those guys aren't household names. That's going to be a spot where... You look at their roster and you go, oh, Sauce Gardner, C.J. Mosley, Garrett Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, all these stars. 
And then you look at tackle and especially right tackle. That's not the case right now. Lakin Tomlinson was not good at left guard after being given a big free agent contract last year. He needs a big bounce back. How does the center competition play out between their second rounder, Joe Tipman, who they're really excited about, and Connor McGovern, their starter from last year? And Elijah Vera Tucker, far and away their best offensive lineman, maybe their most versatile player on the entire team. He could play four spots on the offensive line. Uh, he's back from a season-ending injury last year. Can he stay healthy and be an all-pro caliber player that, listen, you're going to need to be able to run behind somebody if you're playing with the lead. And the Jets expect to play with leads this year. ABT's got to be that guy. So I think this unit, there's a lot of variance. And variance is scary when it comes to offensive line play. It's not really all based on talent. A lot of it is based on health. But they got decimated last year. It really set the team back. They were not able to run the ball. It hurt the quarterback play. The quarterback play also hurt itself. There's no denying that. But it's got to be there for Aaron Rodgers and the, Aaron Rodgers for this offense to hit the ceiling that they think they can get to. All right. AFC East is awesome. Buffalo's won a division the last three years. They have Josh Allen, who's the best quarterback in the division. The Jets, they have Aaron Rodgers. They have Garrett Wilson. They have Sauce Gardner. They have all this top-level talent. The Dolphins, there's the Tua health concern, which is real and legitimate, but Fangio, we'll see if Jalen Ramsey is going to be all right. I mean, that's a variable for a different day, but sure. regardless, defense still loaded. They get after the quarterback. I set the over-under, Connor. I didn't even mention New England, who is last in the division probably from an odd standpoint, but you can make the argument if you put them in the, I don't know, NFC North, they might be the favorites in the right. NFC North. That's how good this division is. That's fair. Over-under, two-and-a-half playoff teams. Will the AFCs get three playoff teams this year, yes or no? I'll say yes Why we get to sit here and just look at it on paper with no injuries, right? Really. I mean, the number one, the thing that with the Dolphins that I think everybody misses that's uh, maybe a little bit outside the day-to-day -day grind of football or, or talking about it nonstop like we do, they have a championship-caliber defense, both from a talent perspective and a coaching perspective. Fangio hire move the needle as much as almost anything this NFL offseason, right? Sure, there was the Aaron Rodgers move for the Jets and a couple other big moves for teams. But the Fangio hire, because it wasn't a roster move, it was a coaching move, that's a massive get for Miami. You're right, Jalen Ramsey, that's an injury that, that would scare you really quick because he's the guy that can be that cherry on top and really give you shut down, a shutdown secondary across the board. He could do a lot of different things, and they like the versatility of their defensive backs, a guy like Javon Holland. Uh, Brandon Jones coming back from a season-ending injury as well. So the Miami defense is phenomenal. To his health, a variable that is so hard to figure out. But schematically, Mike McDaniel is as good as it gets, in my opinion, in this division, in this conference. He could draw it up. He could draw up the run game. He's got three big play running backs. He's got two speedy wide receivers. Uh, they know how to really create yards after the catch with the way they scheme things open. And that makes life easier on Tua, who's taken some really good steps when healthy. That's why all the talk is around the Bills, justifiably so. They won the division, and I think they'll win it again. I wouldn't pick against them. The Jets, justifiably so. Young roster, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, Aaron Rodgers. But Miami, I'm not going to say they're the forgotten team because a lot of people know they're going to be good. But if you look at that defense being what you expect it to be, Tua managing to stay healthy, which of course is the biggest thing. We can't sit here in July and August and, and say confidently either way. They're talented enough to be a third playoff team or a second playoff team in that division. And New England, sure, they got the hoodie. They have Belichick. There's no denying that competitive advantage. But I look at their roster, and I don't even think they're close to the other three teams. And if they pull this one off this year or, or don't finish in last, it might be the most impressive thing Bill Belichick has done when you look at the talent gap from roster to roster. That's how impressed I would be. Totally agree.
Uh, I think we're looking at three playoff teams in the AFC East, and I think we're looking at a whole lot of fun, competitive, yeah. spirited games, Connor, over the course of this year. You're a guy who knows the NFL well. The geniuses who run the league, they got to figure something out with the running backs. We all know it, right? Like, you don't pay running backs on second contracts. Like, you just, it doesn't work. And the position tells us over time, these guys wear down. They're not the same players. And they're clearly getting the short end of the stick. You've seen it with Saquon. You've seen it with Jacobs. You've seen it with Austin Eckler. Can we live in a world, Connor, where the NFL and the NFLPA, and I don't know if this is going to take the next collective bargaining agreement. I don't know. but. You almost got to compensate these guys early on in their careers. Like if they're hitting thresholds and they're hitting bonuses, is that the way we can solve the running back dilemma? Because these guys, I feel, I feel their pain. Like Saquon was a beast last year for the Giants. He couldn't do anything more for the team. He carried them into the postseason. And yet contract time rolls around. Yeah, you're getting the tag. And that's all you're getting, dude. Sorry. Dude, it's insane. And when you look at the Cole Komet deal, the tight end of the Bears come through 48 hours after Saquon's one-year deal. You just, you have to laugh in kind of a sad way when you look at what a Cole Komet is getting and then you look at the running back market. The reality is there, there's really two things that probably make sense here, JJ. One, I think would be a situation that, and this is going to be very hard to deal with with the CBA because the league is not going to give back, uh, not going to give this without getting something substantial. You'd have to redo the way the running back rookie wage scale works. And what I mean by that is guys drafted in the four, in the first round at running back, there's seven years of control. You have four years on the rookie deal. You have the fifth-year player option, and you have two franchise tags. How many running backs even play a productive seven years? So number one, that's a, that's a massive problem. Say you're outside of the first round, you don't have the fifth-year option. You're still four years under control and two franchise tags, right? That's too long to get to the market at the position that doesn't have the shelf life that matters. Now, Maybe some other position groups won't like this because everybody wants to get free agency. That's the rat race in baseball, football, you name it. Everybody wants to get to free agency as soon as they can because the open market is a totally different animal. But I think running backs have a justified case with the lack of shelf life at the position that, what, after two years, my idea is after two years, there's options. One, the guy can walk as a free agent. Or number two, the team has a team option that is similar to the franchise tag, but more inflated. That if you want to keep the running back for a third year under team control, you have the team option, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. And then that running back will cash in big in year three and then get to the free agent market. I think that's the best. But will the league give back anything? Or do the player association, do they have to give back a lot to get that agreement? An interesting one that uh, I you know, I hosted, uh, co-hosted Unbuttoned with Chris Sims this week at NBC. Sims brought this up. Is there a way to build an incentive pool that doesn't affect the salary cap at all? It's from the league that guys hitting certain thresholds at the top of the rushing categories, they collect incentives on that, whether it's the three rushing leaders, whatever it may be. And that money doesn't go into any salary cap ramifications. It's rewarding the young players like Jonathan Taylor and guys like that that have monster second years where they're getting more than the rookie wage scale suggests. So it's not an easy issue to figure out because somebody's going to be pissed off and want something in return. And that's always the case with the NFL CBA negotiations. Final one, Connor. I know you're in the lab. I know you're getting ready. I have not had a fantasy draft yet. I thankfully won't have any until that last week in August, right before Labor Day. You know the deal. Give me like two or three guys. We know the obvious stars, right? Like, you know it, I know it. But give me like two guys that you love this year. 
that we should be looking at. We say, go get them on your fantasy team, no matter what, at all costs, whatever it takes. So in the spirit of the New York, New York pod, I'll give you one that is so far down. You can get them for free. And I don't understand why. Isaiah Hodgins on the Giants. I I think that, listen, I'm not saying draft him in the first 10 rounds. I'm not saying expect him to be a starting wide receiver for you right away. But he's somebody I would get for free with my last or second to last pick. Keep him on the roster and see what happens with this Giants offense, right? The team, besides Darren Waller, who's always hurt. And listen, I hope it works out for the Giants. I think he's really talented. It's definitely a move worth doing if you're the Giants. I'm excited to see him in that offense. But he feels like a guy that's guaranteed to miss some time. If he does, they have no size on this team at pass catcher. Hodgins brings that size, and he had a nice little stretch. Listen, they knew him well from Buffalo, that staff. They got him over the Giants. There was some comfort between him and Daniel Jones. Nobody cares about him. He's free. Nobody cares about him. Just take him, stash him, see what happens in this Giants pass attack. Can he he walk into seven or eight touchdowns? I wouldn't be shocked, and nobody cares. In the first round, a guy that I think there's no place you you can't draft him high enough, Bijan Robinson, and, and people will be like, oh, well, duh, but he's probably going sixth, seventh, eighth, depending where you're looking at. Forget offensive rookie of the year, JJ. If he stays healthy in Arthur Smith's offense, that they're starting Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke will probably play maybe at some point this year. They're going to run the hell out of the ball. They're going to throw to this guy like a wide receiver. He will be McCaffrey. He reminded me of Gurley on the Rams when McVay got Gurley that. and they'd motion him out to the slot. Same exact kind of player to me. I look at uh, Bijan, and I I think he could win Offensive Player of the Year. I I really, really do. I think there's going to be that level of touches, that level of a workload. Atlanta spent all of this money on a defense this offseason. They're looking at a division and think they can capitalize. They might be that team that takes the biggest step from what they were last year all the way to this year, and that will be on the back and on the heels of Bijan Robinson because of the workload, usage. He's going to be a star. If he stays healthy, I think there's a legitimate chance He's the most valuable non-quarterback in all the fantasy when everything's said and done. Connor Rogers, always bringing it. NBC Sports, SNY. I didn't poke the bear on the Mets because, listen, there's not much to poke these days with my Yankees. Both <laughs> Fun Subway stink. series. Huh? Uh, so riveting, <laughs> riveting, riveting 48 hours of baseball, Connor. You ain't kidding, man. But listen, I'll try not to annoy you too much in late August after the you wedding when can. I'm doing all this fantasy football prep, right, baby? You always can, man. It's always a pleasure. You know I love talking to you. That's the great Connor Rogers. He'll be back a lot more throughout the year. Absolutely killing the game. And Jeff post game. Be here before you know it. Come right back. So we go from Connor Rogers to our resident GM, who I spend a lot of time with on Baseball Night in New York. He's doing stuff on MLB Network Radio. And Jim Duquette, with the trade deadline now a couple of days away, I thought you were the perfect guy to bring on the podcast to kind of help us out and kind of talk us through what's going on deadline time. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. It, you know, this is the greatest time of the baseball season from a former GM's perspective anyway. I mean, obviously postseason too, but um, yeah, the G- I've had a chance to talk to probably 15 of the 30. I'm going to have another five on my show on Sunday um, on, on Sirius. And man, they, they let us know what they're looking for. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? It's a fun time. Well, you mentioned that idea of buying and selling, right? Because both teams, the Yankees and the Mets locally, Tim, they're kind of in a weird spot. Like you could see a situation where the Yankees are marginal buyers. You could see the situation where the Mets, let's say, are marginal sellers. We'll get to those two teams. But this weekend, right? Like the Yankees are playing the Orioles. Monstrous series for them. The Mets, they got to capitalize and beat up on a bad Washington Nationals team. 
So when you get to the point where you're playing these games and you're kind of like on the fence for what you should do, will this weekend, you think, maybe be a tipping point for both of these franchises? Or do you kind of get the sense, Jim, the Yankees and the Mets and Apple and Brian Cashman kind of already know what they're going to do regardless of what they see? I, I think they know at this point what what they are, right? And where their weaknesses are, where they need to make adjustments. You know, I think with the Yankees, it's a little clearer because you're over 500. You're hopefully going to be trending upwards. You know, we know the American League East is tough, but the American, the, the wild card, they're in the mix. They're in the hunt for the wild card. They're within, what is it? Three games, two and a half games for the wild card. It's not what you want to be, but the, the idea, like last year, we saw... Um, two wildcard teams uh, get to the NLCS, right? I think San Diego and Philadelphia were both wildcard teams, if I'm not mistaken. And they got to the, they got to, they were, you know, then Philly got to the World Series. And we've seen countless teams get to the World Series through the wildcard. So I don't think, even though it might be disappointing to the fan bases and to us when we're looking at it compared to what their, their payroll is and the expectation level is, I think if you can just get in, um, you know, then you just take your chances. The Mets are a little more more complicated because the worst thing in sports is mediocrity. You've seen this over your career. I've seen it both in the front office and on this side of it. If you're mediocre, man, it is as a GM, uh, it is the worst because you're a five game win streak or four game win streak or four game losing streak from being absolutely in or out of the postseason, and it shouldn't be that way. Like we know what you are after a hundred games, so it's. But but you're still holding out hopes because you really thought you were gonna be in the postseason mix in a in a much bigger light than you are. Okay, Jimmy. Yankees have added a lot of trade deadline the last two years. You think about it. Two years ago, yeah. they were kind of in a similar spot. They were floundering. They added Anthony Rizzo. They added Joey Gallo. One of those moves worked out. The other right. one not so much. But it kind of sparked the team, and they ended up making postseason play. Last year, they were very aggressive. They had Montas. They had Benintendi. They're going to add to the bullpen. Do you think Cashman is going to be as aggressive as he's been in years past? Or do you think he's kind of looking at trade saying, yeah, I want to help this team. But if I'm going to go and add somebody, I'm thinking not just about 2023. I'm kind of thinking beyond that. Because from my perspective, Jim, that's the way I feel from a Yankee's sake. Like, yeah. I want to see them add, but I don't want rental players, I want to see them address areas of need that could maybe help them next year in addition to that. I think ideally if you can do that, and, and it's hard because there's not a lot of those guys available at the moment. Now that, you know, this we're still a couple of days away from the deadline, but right now, if you look at it, there are, you know, eight or nine teams that are selling. It's a, it's a seller's market for sure. It's mostly rentals. And so it's difficult to be that if you're if you're cash, right? So I think you start with with that. But with, with, they also um, have that ability of trading for somebody. Let's say Bellinger was available, which I'm not so sure that he is, but he's a perfect fit in so many spots, including the Yankees, and it would come at a at a high price. But you also have the ability to, you know, justify giving up something good because you can go sign him in the wintertime too, right? So, and Boris represents him, so he'll be expensive. You're not getting a discount. You know, so all those things that always happens with him, he gets the leverage and, you know, and good for Bellinger because he's turned the season around. But, you know, I think to your point, um, you know, we know what they need, right? We, they need offensive piece. They could, they could use another bullpen piece. And I think that's, that's doable without giving up 
a lot of quality, you know, from their system. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we all know that the big guy coming back on Friday, that's their season, right? That's make and or break, Jimmy. You nailed it. He's got to be Aaron too. Judge if they have any prayer, dude. 100%. Otherwise, they're done, right? So, like, he has to do it. You know, and I hope that, you know, that the, the whatever they put in the, in his uh, cleat is going to keep him for the rest of the season so that he can actually uh, produce the way he's capable because he is such an impact. We've seen it, you know, without him, we've seen his absence really effective. They're four games under 500 without him in the offense. As we've talked about many times, it's a run and a half less without him in the lineup. It's crazy. It's been like losing Giannis, or Jokic, or Steph Curry, one of those. Yeah. Jimmy, you've been around a lot of teams. Normally, one guy doesn't make a team like this. The NBA, you see that. You don't see it in baseball. That's been the Yankees. You take Judge off the team, it's like you feel the impact every which way. And, and you know, if you kind of go, like, go look at some of the other impactful guys around the sport, right? And, like, Trout, okay, has been out for a long time. And, you know, the Angels still are, like, top five in runs scored. They're top five in home runs. Do they miss him? Of course they do, but they're able to get by with without him. And, you know, it's it's rare when, you know, like the Astros, they were missing Jordan Alvarez, who's, I think, one of the best hitters in the sport, and Jose Altuve, and yet here they are one game out. So there are teams who have had high impactful guys that have been able to get by without him. And I thought for a while the Yankees were going to be able to do it, but this second, um, this second period without you know, Bader and Judge uh, for a period of time in the lineup, I thought really um, was a difficult one for the Yankees. It coincided with the slumps of Rizzo and Stanton and, you know, some of the other guys. So, yeah, I, I'm surprised, too, that uh, with Judge. He, but, again, his presence is, is you know, pretty big anyway. But I just think that um, there is a lot of extra pressure on the guys that were left behind to do something. And, you know, as you know, in New York, it is hard to play when you have extra uh, pressure on you to produce. Uh, just becomes more difficult to do. You know this better than anybody. Yankee Met trades are impossible. They just they yeah. don't happen. I yeah. mean, Robin. I did one. I did Was it the Benitez trade? Was that you? Yes. yes, I could not get rid of Benitez fast enough. There's so I many teams. It. Up and down. I almost traded him to the Red Sox, and and then I got cash to bite on it. And he had him for two weeks. Realized that and then traded him for Jeff Nelson. He I remember well. him for Mariano Rivera, and he got rid of it. Like it took him two weeks. What it, it, it took us two years to figure out. Benitez couldn't pitch in New York. You know, so Amazing. I mean that was it. Like, cash. Yeah, it, he said, "No, no, this is gonna work." And he flipped him for Nelly. Exactly. Uh, it's crazy thinking about you pulling off a Yankee Met trade. Omar Nervaez, though, Jimmy. The yeah. Yankees need a catcher. Like, that is one where legitimately Billy Epler, Brian Cashman, they clearly have a relationship because they worked together for years with the Yankees. The Yankees, I mean, they lose Trevino. I, I don't know where they're getting catcher help. And the Mets, you know the deal with them. They want to play Alvarez every single day. Is that something that is legitimately feasible? I think it's feasible. I think um, there's a good chance that. Here's the one kicker that you got to be aware of. Jonah Heim with Texas just went down. And, and he, if, you know, it was, I think it was his wrist. Um, we'll know more about it. I'm sure later today or tomorrow, but if he's out, there's another team that would need catching help. And, 
you know, it's rare to need it. It's rare to have somebody that fits so perfectly, but Narvaez fits perfectly. And don't forget with the Mets, you know, you could do something like that, get back a piece potentially that helped your major league club or would be ready to help you in the big leagues. And you've got it, you know, Tomas Nito in there in the minor leagues so without, there wouldn't be any real, you know, setback for them. And that's why I think the Mets are interesting because you could do both. You could, you could move Narvaez, get back a piece. You're not really uh, anywhere. You haven't downgraded your major league team at all. Uh, you could move Robertson if you wanted to, but trade for, let's say, a controllable relief pitcher for two years of service or three years and still be the same as you are and give a run to it, you know, your team without really giving up. So they're a fascinating team, as I think others are, uh, of what they decide to do because we call this uh, GM language arbitrage. You do a little bit of both. You do a little bit of buying. You do a little bit, little bit of selling. It's really difficult to do. Some of the really good GMs out there have done it in the past, and I think the Mets have a chance to do it too. Well, you hit on something. I, I almost feel like, Jim, we're going to see more of that because of like the uncertain nature of so many of these teams because they, they just don't know. Are we going to be in it? Are we not going to be in it? Like the wild card and the additional playoff teams they kind of have really changed the look and feel of this deadline. So from a Yankee perspective and a Met perspective, yeah, that is something you expect to see with a lot of these teams, right? Like the idea of trades within their major league rosters where they're buying and selling basically at the same time. Yeah, and we've already seen a couple already, right? So we saw with uh, just like Minnesota and the Marlins was swapping, uh, you know, kind of disappointing relievers. We saw uh, with with uh, Lopez and Floro, but, you know, to kind of Mets ties, right? With Ahmed Rosario, Rosario going to the Dodgers and Syndergaard going, going back to Cleveland. Like there are teams that, and I've talked to, there's probably half a dozen GMs who have said to me because of, you know, it being jammed up because of the extra wild card, because of, you know, there's so few sellers and, and some of the sellers like Oakland, they don't have a ton. They have a bunch of young guys. They're not, they're not trading young players. Um, they might have Ramon Laureano and Trevor May, but you're not getting a ton back in return. So when you have that, you know, that combination, teams are starting to look at and say, okay, well, we, we might have a strength in one area. We have a weakness in another. Let's, let's try to match up uh, trades. I had at least a half a dozen GMs tell me that um, over the last seven days. And, I, you know, we're, we've seen it a little bit. I think we're going to see more. I think we're on the same page with this. You're going to be shocked, right, on Tuesday if Verlander or Scherzer are wearing different uniforms? I would be shocked. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, listen, I would never say never, right? Because that's what trade deadlines do shock you, right? Like Giolito to the Angels is a little bit of a of a stunner out of oh, the I game, was surprised, right? Jimmy. I was yeah. very surprised. No question. Me, me too, right? So so you go, okay, that's interesting. So like I wouldn't rule there's plenty of interest in Scherzer and Verlander. I I mean, don't let you know Scherzer's you know struggles fool anybody that there isn't value for him out there. I just think that. You're certainly not trading him at peak. We know the slider's been an issue for him uh, this year, but he's still Max Scherzer. I mean, there, you know, there are still plenty of teams out there that would love to have that type of guy, even if you don't look at him as a number one type starter. If you looked at him as a two or a three, like, you know, and, and with the hope that, okay, maybe, um, you know, you are able to trade, let's say, a, a lesser piece because he isn't having a good year. And then he all of a sudden, you know, gets rolling, which he's capable of doing. So, He's he's a really interesting case where I think teams are more than kicking the tires, and it's just do the Mets want to do that? Can they convince them to waive his no trade, or do they just sit back and say, you know what, the way we're built, 
right now. We still believe in our team. Like the Padres, uh, AJ Preller told me recently, they're almost in the same boat and they're going, they're, they're going to improve on the fringes and just keep riding out that team and basically go all in, you know, all in without trading a ton of prospects. The Mets could very easily do that um, and see if they go on a run here in the next month. I was going to ask you about the Padres because they have a lot of appealing pieces. Blake Snell, Josh Hader. They ever put a guy like Juan Soto out on the open market? You know, I'd like that swing in Yankee Stadium and yeah. he looked good Yankee pitch times. He looked good in any uniform. Who are we right. kidding? Uh, but you don't get the sense after talking to AJ that the Padres now over the next week are going to say, hey, big names available. So, you know, it's funny because I've seen some, I've seen Snell's name. I've seen Hader's name, right? Then, and, and those are the guys, you know, and Hader's already been traded once. I think if if you're going to look at, you know, a team like the Padres and they made, let's say they made Hader available, you they could actually do both also because they have, you know, our old friend Seth Lugo has been pitching in the rotation. He could very easily go into the bullpen. They got the Robert Suarez that could close for them who just came off the injured list. Uh, they have uh, Martinez. I think Martinez, there are guys in their bullpen that could take up the, the slack in uh, San Diego, you know, at the back end, and they could get something back in return for here, like maybe an offensive piece that they could use. So they're an interesting team. I don't, I don't think in, uh, in the surface that AJ uh, won't do anything. Like he's, he's, he's one of the wheeler and dealers that are out there. Um, and I'm really curious what they're going to do, but I find it hard to believe that Snell in his prime in his free agent year, he's having an unbelievable year. Like he's going to be in the Cy Young conversation in the NL. I can't believe that he would he would trade him. I, I won't I won't doubt him, but I find it difficult to to see the Padres doing that. You could put on your GM cap, and obviously the Otani situation. There's some stuff that's out of the GM's control. Like even if they wanted to trade him, the owner's like, "Hey, guess what? You're not trading him." Yeah. Hey, guess what? There's nothing I can do there. That's I've been there. I've been here a couple times along the way too, JJ. Like it's frustrating, but you know the owner tells you, you know, it's like it's like your boss. Your boss tells you things you don't like to do, but if he tells you, you got to do it. You got to do it, or else you want to be out on the street doing. I was going to say, and you doing shows like this else. for you and me. And I like you know these GMs. They love their jobs. It pays better. I understand that. Um, are you surprised though? I'm not because at this point, if they didn't trade Otani, they're kind of like hot committed, whether it's the right call, the wrong call, they kind of committed already that show, Hey, they're going to try and sign them. And if they don't sign them, Hey, that's the way it goes. They kind of missed the boat, right? If they were going to trade him, they should have traded him in the off season. Correct. Yes. I, I think that, you know, I think what would have been interesting if they made him available, I think the best comp is when the nationals traded Scherzer and Turner to the Dodgers a couple of years ago. If you remember that, uh, they get the Dodgers gave up their top two prospects at the time, but they were lesser guys than what they normally had. It was uh, Kbert Ruiz, who the Nationals have catching right now, and Josiah Gray, who's an All Star, but you know, is a solid pitcher. But they weren't the Gavin Luxes, you know, that came through their system, or the Corey Seegers, or the Julio Arias. Those all those like top guys that that once were prospects for the Dodgers that you would have you know tried to trade for, and the Dodgers were saying, nope, you're not you're not getting them. Um, so, so I think you could have gotten something similar if you made Otani available. Like he's the perfect combination, right? Impactful bat, impactful pitcher. Um, but I have to respect, you know, the 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 owner in this sense that you know they're they're four games out. Like if you if you sat there realistically, you sat in the front office, you're in that chair as a GM, and when I, when I, like I felt like the 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 line was like 
six games back, but you're trending up or five games out and you're trending up, which the angels are doing. Like now they've won, I think seven of the last 10 or eight of the last 11. And they're three and a half games out of the, out of the third wild card. Like you're going in the right direction to, to pull the plug on that and say, you're selling is really, really uh, a difficult thing. I think to sell to anybody. And I just don't think it's the right thing. So yeah, there happens to be a circ- the circumstances of the schedule, the way they're playing right now, because their schedule, if you looked at their schedule the next month and a half, it is one of the most difficult in the sport. And you would say on the surface that, that it's not the time to, to buy, but you're in it. And so why not go for it? Because you don't know what Otani's going to tell you at the end. They think that it'll give them a better chance to sign Otani at the end of it. And while I'm skeptical, if you put in the effort to try to win and you sh- and you're showing hey this t- this organization is willing to go down the road there's no place more that he's more comfortable than the angels if the money was there so you you can't rule out that he won't sign there um based on these moves that they've made so you know that's their ultimate goal try to get to the postseason but ultimately keep otani happy and hopefully keep him in an angels uniform so i think they accomplished all of that with this trade jimmy final one uh, you get to get in the prediction business here. Uh, yeah. Yankees, marginal buyer. Mets, marginal seller. Is that how you see this shaking out? That's how I see it, yeah. I I, I would love to see impact, but I think with a few of the Yankees, like we talked earlier, they have two impacts coming back. They can't, they can't get any better. Like Cortez, you know, we forget about Cortez, too. He's impact, right? When he's pitching the way he's, he's a capable judge, speaks for himself. And so... Yeah, I, I just don't see that other impact out there. I'm not even sure Bellinger, who's a great fit. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if he's going to be available. I don't know if the Cubs have decided yet. Cubs are in a weird spot, aren't they, Jim? They're in a they weird, are. weird spot because that division is gettable. They're like in the same spot as the Mets, but you don't really think they're a legit contender. I tell you this: I wouldn't want to be in, in in Hoyer's shoes. You know, like no. those are the positions as a GM. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not there. Absolute worst. Because here's the thing: Have we ever one time? said about the Cubs this year that they're a postseason team. Like, I, I can't no. even say that, right? Never. Not even at the no. beginning of the season. Like, they hoped that they were around 500 and in the conversation for the postseason. Well, that's where they are right now, right? So I, I think that they'll end up being that way now, but I, I think I think they should sell. But again, it's easier said than done. I think the Mets on the other side of it real fast is, um, I, I, I mean, it's hard. I, I think they're leaning towards selling. I don't think there's a ton to sell. I think, you know, I think it's the Robertsons, the, the fans, you know, the Narvaez. I think that group, you know, they'll they'll dangle them, and if they get value, they'll they'll move them. But they're not gonna. They don't have to move them. And um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a little bit of both. You know, and they acquired a, you know a guy or two that helped the team and see if they go on a little bit of a run here. But um, I don't think you're going to see impact either way. Jim Duquette, you'll see him on SNY. He's going to have a busy couple of days. MLB Network Radio on Sunday and. Jimmy, at least you're sleeping better a lot now oh, at the trade deadline than so you would have been, better. you know, 15, 20 years ago. You'd be getting no sleep these next few days, oh, dude. Sleep habits are way better, JJ. I, I like it better this way. I can understand it. Keep up the good work. We'll be watching Monday and Tuesday. I'll see you all soon, right. all right? I'll see you soon. Thanks. We haven't done two guests in a while. Maybe it's a precursor of things to come with the football season where we always have a lot happening. And don't you worry. We'll have our usual football Friday routine with Benigno back for another year, or Dice back for another year, Jason Katz back for another year. So our Football Friday regulars are uh, 
They're in the lab warming up as we speak. But trivia, we did not do it on Sunday. We will give you trivia on Thursday now that Stefan is back in the building. Uh, Larry, just so you know, I had an immaculate grid today. It took me forever to get a Cardinal and a Giant. And then all of a sudden, Will Clark, the 11th hour, dawned on me. So uh, proud of my immaculate grid. I think it was like 105 today or 111. It was a high-quality school and immaculate. Uh, hopefully, I'm immaculate for your trivia, Larry. Let's hear it. JJ, Larry, question one. Three pairs of teammates in 2015 hit 40 homers or more. Name the six players. Question two. Who currently leads the National League in ERA? I'm out. All right, let's start with the 40 home run question. Three pairs of teammates, 2015, and hit 40 home runs. All right, I got to start with the guys in Toronto. I, I got to start with Bautista and Encarnacion. Really? Felt really good about both of those answers. Right team, one right player, one wrong player. I'll give okay, you that. all right, so one of them is correct. The other one is incorrect. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming Encarnacion is correct or Batista is correct? Joey Bats is the correct answer. Batista was correct. All right. So Encarnacion did not get to 40. Who else on that Blue Jay team hit 40 home runs? Oh, man. This is going to piss me off. This is going to piss me off. I'm like going through the 20. Oh. He was the MVP that year. My favorite, Josh Donaldson. There you go. 2015 MVP, Josh Donaldson. Or AL MVP, whatever the hell it was. All right, so we got two there. I knew the Blue Jays because they hit it. There's a gazillion home runs. Gazillion home runs. All right, so I got to get four more players here. Four more players. Thinking about teams that are good that year. I don't think the Mets had two guys that hit 40 home runs. Cespedes might have, but nobody else came close. Um, I'm going to guess here, Stefan. Cubs, was it Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo? Close, no cigar. Close, no cigar. They were good that year. They were in the NLCS. The Dodgers... Uh, 2015. You're like trying to go through in my head like who were good teams that year. The Royals won the World Series. They didn't have a lot of power in their lineup. The AL West. Who won the AL West that year? It was the Astros. Well, maybe it wasn't the guys on a playoff team. Dodgers that year. 40 home runs. Somebody definitely did it. I just don't know who. Am I correct about the Dodgers, Stefan? Are they the team? The Dodgers are not one of the teams. They're not one of the teams. All right, so that was incorrect. Okay. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are also not one of the teams. Felt way better about this question five minutes ago. 
I will say, you since you did say Dodgers, I'll give you this. It is the other team that resides in Los Angeles. Ah, the Angels. The Angels. That makes sense. Is it Trout and Pujols? There you go. Appreciate the help. I needed it. We got one more team. Not, is it the Houston Astros? <laughs> Not the Astros. This is a tough question, man. This is a very, very tough question. It's just the issue of trying to think who was like a good team in 2015. That's real. Is it the um, Texas Rangers? I'm never, you might as well give me the team, Stefan. I'm never going to get it. Maybe I'll get the players once I get the team. The team is the Colorado Rockies. Oh, that makes sense. Um, And if it's 2015 Rockies, it's got to be Nolan Arenado. And then I would say it's Charlie Blackman. No. I got one right. Trevor Trevor Story. Who am I missing from the Rockies? Uh, Carlos Gonzalez. There you go. That was a uh, favorite of mine in fantasy until he completely, uh, you know, fell apart as a player. So, uh, there you go. There you go. Um, That's a tough trivia question. Uh, who's leading the NL right now in ERA? My guess, and I don't feel great about this, is it Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks? <laughs> it is not Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks. Wow. Felt good about that, too. Felt good about that. Uh, it can't be Spencer Strider because he's been dreadful uh, his last couple of starts. Um, I'm like going through, going through, going through. Who is any all-star kid? Oh, I know, I guess, because we saw him at the airport, Stefan. Blake Snell. There you go. That that took me a few. I was like going through National League pitches. I'm like, who do we see at the all-star game? Start rattling off guys. So we got there. All right, before we say goodbye and set the stage for the weekend, Jeff Money, you set the stage. What do we got? What's coming up? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper. Picks would be for Friday the 28th. I got one play. I'm going to go with a road team. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners, minus the 135 over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Again, we're going to go with the Seattle Mariners, minus the 135. Let's see what you got on tap on your end. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter, at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. I'm stunned. Actually, I shouldn't be stunned because Cole's pitching tomorrow. I thought maybe Cole was pitching on Saturday. He's pitching tomorrow. And that's why you see the Yankees as a minus-130 favorite against the Orioles. What we will have on tap, and I don't know if I'll be on the Yankees tomorrow. Do not know. We will absolutely have an SGP on FanDuel. Yankees-Orioles. Do we go with a total? Do we go with some Oriole props? But we will have something lined up getting you ready for this Pivotal stretch of games. Make or break time for the 2023 New York Yankees. And at the very least, at least when we're watching baseball, number 99 in your programs, number one in your heart, we'll be back wearing the uh, midnight blue road gray. 
Sight for sore eyes, seeing Aaron Judge back in a New York Yankee uniform, that's for sure. So we'll be back Sunday night after Yankees-Orioles. Remember, it's going to be a late pod drop. Sunday night baseball, we'll see what the trade deadline is looking like. It is on Tuesday. Maybe there's some activity over the weekend. Maybe there's not. We'll be here nonetheless. Good job by Stefan. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. The final weekend of the month of July. Wow, I get married next month. Crazy. Crazy. On that note, Danger's out. Enjoy your weekend. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler. Visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 100 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or Visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 109 within Indiana, 100-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 100gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY in New York.